Who is Jesus? What is he doing? And what does it mean to follow him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis. This is the Follower Podcast, and everyone is invited to the conversation. Hello and welcome back to the Follower Podcast. Um, I hope the first episode was good for you. Uh, the goodness is Godness. I, I I really enjoyed making that episode and um, chatting with a few people. People said, you know, that minds were challenged, but also I think more importantly that hearts were stirred. And so that that's cool, man. And so as we're getting into this journey, just a reminder, we, we're not even actually at the gospel yet. Uh, in the next couple of episodes, we're actually just preparing our hearts to receive it. And we're, we're thinking about some thoughts um, around what might limit us from being able to step into what the gospel is. Now, last week we spoke about uh, the orientation of the heart, and we spoke about how r- really this is such a critical element when it comes to engaging with God and the gospel, because um, the orientation of your heart entails a willingness to acknowledge that the goodness we most long for comes packed in the godness we often resist. The goodness we most long for comes packed in the godness we often resist. And as as we carefully examine our resistance, we find that it is most often rooted not so much in rational objection uh, as we would like to think, but actually in emotive rebellion or injured reaction. Uh, What I mean by that is that either we reject uh, the correction and limitation and direction of God out of prideful defiance or We've had experiences of counterfeit abuses of God that have left us wounded and defensive. And so these are the reasons why we kind of build these walls to God in our hearts, right? Now, no matter what the reason is for us rejecting Godness as goodness, the outcome ultimately is the same. We end up trying to captain our own souls to our own detriment. Uh, So we, we run ourselves aground, if you will, on the rocks of our wayward desires time and time again. I know this is true for me, and I'm sure if you think about it, it's, it's true for you. Now, when we step back and look at this, and, and we look at the sort of repeated outcome, what happens is we start to acknowledge the futility of our ways, and this actually enables us to choose another way, okay? You, you can't move toward the wholeness of something unless you will acknowledge that, um, that it's currently broken, <laughs> all right? And so, um, in choosing another way, instead of self-determination, we surrender and we submit ourselves to God in all of His goodness on His terms, not ours. And this choice, it, it feels counterintuitive at first, um, but but it is actually the soil of the resurrection life. Uh, that's where it's all born. It opens us up, if you will, to receive all that God has always been waiting to give us. So once we've oriented our hearts in this way to receive the good news of the gospel, the next thing we have to turn to in terms of correcting ourselves, again, because we want to we position ourselves so that everything that the gospel is can have its effect on us. Okay, so the next point of positioning actually has to do with the light of our minds, um, the way we think, which either aids or inhibits the growth of the gospel in our hearts. So remember this, okay? We, we said this last week and kind of alluded to this a few times in other episodes. Uh, the gospel is not the only news on offer to us today. 
When it comes to the ideas that shape our minds, we don't actually start at neutral. It's John Mark Comer in one of his podcasts, which you should listen to, uh, This Cultural Moment. Go check that out if you're a podcast person. He's, he's chatting with a guy called Mark Sayers, and they raise this idea that we are not actually the self-determining rational beings that we think we are, and <laughs> which can be a bit offensive to think about. But how do we know that this is true? Well, just think about your own life. Think about your attempts to write out your own story free from the inhibitions of religious thought, uh, or as the popular phrase goes, to be true to yourself. Okay, How many, how many of us have have had dreams of putting on a backpack and going into the outer mountains somewhere and hanging out with some dude in a temple somewhere and uh, or alternatively we, we've got to throw off the restraints of our past and like figure out and discover something that's true to in, in inside of us you know and that's uniquely us okay so many of us have had this kind of journey but the more we look at these journeys the more we find that the true self that we were hoping to discover actually closely resembles the true selves of those around us who are trying to do the same thing. So, so apparently this unique true self that we've set out to discover and, and that the idea of God has actually been suppressing looks a lot like the people, products, and pursuits that the media advertises. I don't know if you've ever really considered the irony of that, of that how everybody who's setting out to, f to find their true selves ultimately finds some kind of version of a true self that looks a lot like the other true selves and how all of those true selves look a lot like the media campaigns that are selling products on billboards all over our city. <laughs> An honest look at our desire to write our own story, reveals a story that is actually writing us. Every day, we are confronted with countless, invisible, unnamed, but powerful, defining stories as to who we are and why we are here. And unfortunately, as we can see by their results, these stories are not all pre-packed with the goodness of Godness that we long for. They are not truth, they are lies. And unlike the gospel, their ultimate end is pain. See, the stories of materialism, consumerism, hedonism, and escapism, and that's just a few, uh, these stories that fill the billboards of our cities, and sadly some of our churches, they don't actually lead to the best version of you. What they do is they keep us in the dark, and the more we let them grow, the worse it gets for everyone. Now, on the other hand, we have the gospel. Now, the gospel, it, it is this miraculous seed of truth, and it comes divinely pre-packed with infinite redemptive potential. When we give ourselves to it, what happens is that we position ourselves for a journey of consistent and increasing transformation into the likeness of God himself. It's as if, imagine this for a second, it's as if God puts up a tent of his presence in the world through you. And everywhere you go, you act as this walking outpost of God's eternal reality. 
and you profoundly and positively begin to impact those that you share your life with. That's what's packed into. That's, that's the potential that's packed into the gospel. But, and this is a big but, okay? Potential unrealized, it only remains potential. <laughs> so I know, and you know, I'm sure, uh, you've met many people who, they've sincerely accepted the seed of the gospel, right? This, this thought, they've, they've accepted it. And um, yet, in spite of that acceptance, they've never grown into the full potential that it carries. So we know people who have memorized the whole Bible, faithfully attend church regularly, and they are, uh, as sincerely as they are able, perhaps, um, they, they believe in God. Yet, their lives reflect um, very little of this God that they believe in. And we're still are people who declare their allegiance to God. And they declare their allegiance to the gospel and their belief in Him. But when you look at their lives, they actually actively contradict everything that Jesus is actually about. We just have to take a short walk through human history and the pages of church history. And we will get plenty examples of this, right? Now, how does this happen? How, how does a, a gospel, which I'm saying is so pre-packed with power, have so little effect on people's lives? I believe that this has much to do with how we think about God. If, as uh, we've said in, in the last episode and in this episode, if the gospel is like a seed and our heart is like the soil in which that seed grows, then our thought structures they either provide light that causes that seed to grow or they sustain darkness that hinders it. In fact, I believe that one of the surest ways to corrupt or smother the incredible potential of the gospel and therefore fail to see it realized in our lives is the issue of inferior thought structures. This is why a guy named A.W. Tozer, right? He brilliant uh, writer and thinker. He writes a book called The Pursuit of God. And one of the things he always says is that the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about God. Another guy, William Temple, he believed, and this is critical, listen to this carefully. If people live with a wrong view of God, then the more religious they become, the worse the consequence will be. And eventually, it would actually be better for them to be atheist. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll read that one more time. If people live with the wrong view of God, the more religious they become, the worse the, the consequence will be. And eventually, it would be better for them to be atheist. See, the issue is not only accepting the gospel, but how we accept the gospel. The same good seed can have very different results depending on the state of the heart that it falls into. So some will experience growth and transformation, while others will find the seed snatched away or choked out by the cares of the world, etc. And the issue is the state of our hearts, which significantly influences the growth of the seed. And the state of our heart is influenced by the state of our mind. So just as the seed of the good news grows in the light of God's truth. So the seeds of the competing narratives that we've spoken about, they grow in the darkness of lies. 
And this is exactly why the Bible tells us to stop imitating the ideals and opinions or thought structures of the culture around us and instead to be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how we think. So when we change the way we think, this then empowers us to know God's desires for us and then to live into the beautiful lives that are both satisfying and pleasing to us and Him. Okay, so can you see how much is resting on how we think about the gospel? Now, all of us were born into this world. Okay, so before we had a choice, we adopted and inherited a number of broken thought structures that ultimately compromise the growth of the gospel and then the realization of its effects in our lives. Um, or broken thought structures can vary from perspectives on sexuality to purpose to possessions to politics, the way we think about things. And these ways of thinking can set themselves up in opposition to what the gospel actually wants to do in our, in our lives. There's so much need for transformation in our thinking. And as the gospel grows in us, so let's stick with the analogy of, of this growing seed. The more it grows in our internal world, the more light it actually requires to flourish. And so the windows of our mind must be flung wide open to the truth of God's instruction, um, affecting literally every part of who we are as people. In other words, the more we grow in the implications of the truth of the gospel, the more we must be prepared to transform our perspectives uh, and let them change toward truth. For the remainder of this podcast, however, I can't look at every single thought structure issue. So I just want to focus in on one way of thinking about God um, and, and what God is doing in the world uh, over time that I think chokes out the gospel completely or taints its effects, creating sort of a, a pale shadow, shadow of what it was supposed to be, right? And what I'm talking about here is the power of is. The power of is. What I mean by this is, hmm, um, when I speak to people about what they think the gospel is, and remember how we think about the gospel is critical, um, one of the most important issues that I feel we have to clarify is not only what we think the gospel is, but also when we think the gospel is. It seems to me that so many people have this view of the gospel, um, and whether they accept it or reject it, and, and in some cases this view is exactly why they reject it, that is primarily concerned with three things. Some place other than here, some time other than now, and some person other than me. By someplace other than here, what I'm talking about is a common misperception that the gospel is primarily concerned with a kind of heaven which is very much not here. Uh, the heaven that many imagine consists of pearly gates, baby angels, white robed people on floating clouds, and it definitely doesn't have much to do with long lines at the supermarket, <laughs> traffic in the morning on the way to work, uh, daily temptations of peer pressure, uh, battle, battles with substance abuse, personal hidden issues of anxiety, right? Uh, the lived out experiences. So, so the heaven that many people think about is about some place, but that place is definitely not 
this place. And this other place is also primarily viewed as only existing in some other time, namely the future. So this is why we, we can believe in God and believe in heaven, but still destroy the environment, uh, ignore the needs of those who suffer all around us, and just kind, of, just kind of hide away in our private prayer closets, waiting for the end of the world to come, because from this view of heaven, uh, the issue is primarily, of course, saving souls for the future rather than restoring holes in the present. By holes, I mean whole societies, whole families, whole communities, whole economies. Um, the heaven of our conception that has nothing to do with the now and only the later, uh, it robs us of any power to impact the present. And then, to make it worse, this other place in some other time, is concerned primarily with some other person who is definitely not me. <laughs> At least not the me that I am right now, okay? So perhaps a future, more spiritual, more put-together kind of me, but definitely not the me that woke up with all the doubts and fears and failures that I'm feeling this morning, right? Uh, uh, that me is, is not ready to step into God's reality. And fortunately, from this perspective, he doesn't have to because from this perspective, heaven is not here yet. Maybe one day when someplace else that isn't here or now in this very moment arrives, then the me I wish I was will be the me I am and then I'll be ready to take God seriously. Okay, that, That's kind of the implication of this view. But then, But until then, I'm just a sinner. My job is to manage my sin as best I can and not make God too angry and not mess up too much while I wait ultimately to die. And luckily, when I die, I've prayed a prayer, so I'll go to the somewhere else, sometime else, as someone else. I, I hope you can forgive. <laughs> I hope you can forgive the cynicism. I'm not trying to be cynical. But I, I hope the picture is clear. And the tragic issue is that this is how so many people view the gospel and what it's about, both from outside and inside the faith. So often we've adopted some kind of um, like a modernized Gnosticism that creates a huge divide between our perception of the spiritual and our experience of the physical. And it's why some of us are happy to get drunk in a bar, but would never do that in a church building. Or why we act like a saint in religious places uh, and around seemingly spiritual people like monks and priests and nuns, but then we swear without remorse at the person cutting us off in traffic. It's because at a gut level, we really do believe that some things are spiritual and other things are not spiritual. And this separation profoundly limits our ability to grow in the gospel. Why? Because just as the gospel is good, it is also news. Okay? And news is not a list of expectations, nor is it primarily concerned with what has not happened yet. Breaking news, the kind we find in, in the gospel, is the declaration of something that has happened, a present reality. Uh, 
it certainly carries ramifications for the future, but it also and equally profoundly affects everything in the present. This is why when Jesus appears on the scene in the book of Mark, we read that he comes proclaiming the gospel of God, right? Now, what is that? This is what he says. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom or the reality of God is at hand and that people should repent and believe this gospel. Luke has a similar kind of idea. Uh, he's got Jesus and Jesus is being asked by people when this reality of God would be established. And Jesus' response is that this reality of God is in their midst. And in Matthew, we find this prayer that all of us know called the Lord's Prayer. And central to that prayer is, is this idea that we should pray that God's reality becomes a reality here on earth in the same way that it is in heaven. And there's the story about a temple curtain, right, that, that once separated the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, from the normal world, the people of God. But then when Jesus dies, that temple is torn, signifying the fact that, that once, what once was separated is now joined. Jesus himself is a walking embodiment of an incarnated God. Okay, what I mean by that is any conception, any idea, any way of thinking you had about the fact that God was somewhere else, that's completely deconstructed when that God puts on a skin suit and starts walking around in your neighborhood. <laughs> God, Emmanuel, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, is here. And the kingdom of God is here. The reality of God is here. So is heaven a future hope, a promise, an expectation, a reality for someone else in some time to come? Uh, it is. It is. Okay. But in Jesus, that future promise has also been made a present reality. See, the explosive transformative power of the gospel is linked to the declaration of Jesus that something has actually happened. Now, you can deny it. You can ignore it. You can mock it. But none of that changes anything. Think about it. Does your opinion of the sun stop it shining? <laughs> it doesn't, right? So just as your opinion of the sun doesn't stop it shining, so your opinion of the gospel doesn't keep it from being true. You can either stand in the life of its light or you can close the blinds and hide from it in the dark. But the gospel, like the sun, shines on and its light currently and presently affects every moment of our lives. So, uh, does this gospel that we're going to hear about does it call us to a future place and time and 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 a beautiful version of ourselves that we are not yet living into the fullness of? Um, it does. It does. But at the exact same time, it meets us right where we are, right here right now, just as you are, and calls you to live presently into that fullness that you will eventually become and eternally inherit. The power of is, uh, not only later, means that the sacred-secular divide is gone. Everything is spiritual. God meets us in the cues the traffic and the struggles, in the doubts and the fears and the failures, everything that you are currently not, that is where God is. <laughs> uh, 
He fills, he fills every moment of every day with the seed of the future planted in the present. That is, that's what this incredible declaration of the gospel is going to be about. The stage is set. The script is written. The cast is prepared. The orchestra is ready. Not later, but now. And what's left for us is, is those of us who have the eyes to see, which have been opened by a transformed mind in the way we think, we have this great privilege of pulling back the curtain on the show and letting people understand that the masterpiece that they have been searching for is, is and has always been waiting right underneath their nose. In the words of Jesus, the time is fulfilled. No more waiting. The kingdom of God is actually here. So what's left now is for us to change our way of thinking and actually believe that that is true. The more we do this, all right, the less we find ourselves passively waiting for heaven to come and the more we reveal the heaven that is in so many wonderful ways already here. The power of will be is, is true. Right? We have anchored our hope in a future glory. We do consider all our light and momentary afflictions as nothing compared to the eternal inheritance that we have in God. All that stuff remains true. But the power of is is so equally powerful. If we hope to receive the fullness of what the gospel offers, we must not only set our hearts toward this future hope, but we must also lift our heads to see its present glory that heaven has invaded earth in Jesus and will continue to do so through us who choose to live into this miraculous reality. The seed of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, um, this death in the family, it comes pre-packed with so much redemptive uh, power that we could not even comprehend it. But we will keep missing it if we, if we keep looking for it in some place other than here, in some time other than now, and in someone other than us. Uh, Jesus, he, he changes everything. And he imports what was only ever a future hope into a present reality. And the more we live into that reality, the more we actually become it here, now, today. Um, and so my prayer for you, my hope for us, is that we, yes, uh, our hearts would be set on the promise of what's to come. That's a good and a wonderful thing. Uh, we are not of this world um, as human beings, we, our hearts are anchored in, in a future hope. But at the exact same time, my prayer and my hope for us is that that future hope would begin to invade our present reality. And we would see uh, our rightful work as pulling back the curtain on the show that's just ready to be seen. Which leads us into next week's episode and more on that. Uh, next week's episode is going to be called, So This is Human. And I really think this is maybe one of the final preparation points um, that gets us ready to receive all that the gospel declaration has for us. So uh, I hope you'll be there with us next week. I hope that this is helpful for you. As always, if it is, uh, like it, share it, 
get other people involved in the conversation. Um, I, I really hope that this is helpful in bringing people to some kind of wholeness and most importantly in helping us reframe uh, Jesus and his message in the world and what we think it means to actually follow him in the world today. The power of will be is one thing. The power of is, well, that's quite another. <laughs>